Hi guys, welcome to Tic Tech Talk, episode 18, What We're Listening To. In this episode, Candice and myself will discuss our listening habits. My name is Rob. I'm Candice. And uh, yeah, thank you for joining us. So uh, to kind of get into it, uh, there's been a lot of disruption in the audio industry lately. Um, going back a little bit with the introduction of Apple Music and Tidal really exploding out of the scene. Uh, obviously Spotify, the longtime streaming competitor being there. Uh, there's been a lot of activity. Recently today, actually, I saw some reports saying uh, paid streaming is really saving the music industry yeah. and allowing it to grow once more. So um, so we thought it was a pretty exciting area. So um, For, Just from a software and hardware side, right, especially the last couple of weeks, we always discuss it, but the removal of headphone jack has caused us to kind of rethink how we listen to audio from a hardware side. And yeah, definitely, you know, five years ago, we I, I couldn't have imagined that, you know, I'm relying on streaming music or that I like Apple Music, you know, mm-hmm. a year ago from this point. But maybe we'll start off with just the hardware side of it, but how we actually listen to our audio, whether it be music or podcasts. Um, what headphones are you using now, Rob? So I have a couple of headphones. Um, <laughs> let me just preface this with saying I'm not really the kind of person who uh, can hear a difference in quality that well. Um, I'm definitely not an audiophile. My go-to headphones are usually either the Apple Earpo- EarPods or my... Um, I have a pair of Skull Candy headphones. It's like these. You ninth these? grade. Yeah, I think I mentioned these on the podcast. You've never accidentally washed them or anything, in like in the washing no, machine. No, they've always been in my backpack, just in a pocket. So those are kind of my like beater headphones, for lack of a better word. I just kind of leave them jumbled in with my pencils and stuff like that. They're good in a pinch. Um, the audio is pretty good. They fit snugly in my ears. So I keep those around, and um, I like my Apple ones because have the microphone on them. Yeah. Uh, I also have a pair of Monster headphones that I got when I purchased my Windows phone, actually. Uh, don't laugh. They're actually probably the nicest headphones I own. They're, they're ear pods, but the quality is um, supposed to be better. I can't really tell. But I have those, um, and they have a microphone too, but I'm not sure if it works with my current phone. Um, so majority of the time, um, the ear pods. I do actually, for this podcast, I have a pair of over-the-ear Sennheisers. Uh, so that's what I use when I'm editing at my desk and stuff like that. But most used, definitely the ear pods. Okay. How about yourself? Um, for me, once again, I definitely use the earpods often, especially now switching to a new phone that doesn't have a headphone jack and relies on the lightning connector. Um, I use them. One thing that I really do like about the earpods, and that's why I'm also excited about getting the earpods, is I use them a lot for conference calls, like being on a phone call for a really long time. Um, I like how they go in the ear, but they don't completely isolate sound. So like I'm walking across the street, sometimes I have to lower the volume on other types of earbuds. These bring in enough sound where I feel safe enough. So I'm really excited to wear the new AirPods, especially without the cable and things like that too. Um, right now I also use a pair of Anchor wireless Bluetooth headphones. I think they're called like earbuds or sport buds and stuff like that too. They're really a great value for $25. Um, they sound really good and they have these hooks that I think kind of mimic Bose's uh, wireless version where they kind of sit in the crook of your ear um, and they sound pretty good. The mic isn't as good. I've had to yell at Siri instead of speak into Siri, but I, th- I think this problem will be solved. Um, and then for larger headphones, I have a pair of Klipsch uh, over-the-ear headphones. The issue with them is they are a little bit too tight on my head, so I can't wear them for an extended period of time. Um, and you probably don't have this problem, but uh, I like the idea of having over-the-ear headphones for extended periods. It's just not the most comfortable or conducive if you have hair, like long hair. Mm. Yeah, I don't. I, I do like my over-the-ear headphones. Definitely, like they sound the best. And um, mine are pretty comfortable, actually, pretty loose. There's a nice like plastic band in between that gives a lot of flex. Um, but I would agree, and definitely not my most used. You know, usually I'm on the go, walking around, listening to music. It's just so convenient to pair a pair of smaller earbuds, and especially the wireless ones. Um, and so they're really good for 25 bucks, even if you just keep them as a second pair next to your l- nicer wireless ones. Um, 
that's pretty much it. Um, I also have a pair of Cost Porter Pros. Have you ever heard of the Cost Porter Pros? I've not. Enlighten me. Um, these headphones were released in the 1980s, and uh, they're kind of weird looking. They're very retro. Um, but the most interesting thing is, instead of putting all the pressure of the headphone on your, against your ears, that might create pain, they actually put it on top, about the temple of your head, and they have this foam pad. And there's actually a switch to adjust how much pressure is put on. But when you wear them, they look really retro. <laughs> but there's such a big cult falling behind the headphones, and they're rated still, I think, the best pair of headphones on CNET and everything, too. Interesting. Under, under 40 bucks over the year. Or I guess on the ear, really, since they're a little bit smaller. But I keep those um, by my desk. I keep my uh, lightning to headphone adapter on that pair. Um, but they're probably the most comfortable to wear long-term oh. around and stuff. But I actually never heard of that. That's really interesting. A different way to think about it. Guys, Google Cost Porter Pros. They look really distinct if you walk around with them. And the thing is, like, there's a community behind it. So if you walk around campus or you walk around the city and you see other people, it's like something like driving a Jeep. Like, someone will wave at you. So I should wear them more op- uh, often, like, out, but it's just so much more convenient when I'm walking on campus. I have something wireless and something smaller, especially going into a backpack. Do you still use those, um, for lack of a better word, the neck buds you used to have? I know in the past you've discussed those, but I don't know yeah. you have. It's so funny. Like, I, I got the first generation of them ever because LG was the one that really pioneered the design, and it was my first real pair of wireless headphones. Um, but I kind of fell out of love with them, and I like the idea of wireless I think now it's such a big social... It look, it, they just look so tacky. I see everyone. I see my mailman every single day wearing them. Uh-huh. Um, but they For make the some... comfort. Yeah. And the Motorola ones that they've released recently, they copy the design. They don't look as bad. Um, but for me, once again, like when I'm wearing it on my shirt and stuff, it, it gets caught in my backpack strap or whatever. So I recommend if your ears are conducive of wearing, like using the rubber tips to just get something like the Anchor ones. or I know like Bose and other companies are definitely releasing new ones too. That's good to hear because I have been in the market for a wireless pair of headphones. Um, ever since I got my Apple Watch, I wanted something I could just pair with a watch and not have to worry about carrying my phone around. So yeah. excellent, excellent tips, Candice. Yeah, the biggest limitation for a lot of the Bluetooth stuff that doesn't have, like, the W1 chip is you can only really pair to one device at a time. Mm. So that's the biggest pain, especially if I'm switching between my iPad and my phone. You have to sometimes go to the menu and connect them. I'm excited where I can just push a button and send the signal elsewhere. That is definitely a huge selling point for those. So very interesting to see. Uh, I'm definitely going to hold out and wait and see the reviews on those before I, I pull the trigger on anything. Okay, so headphones probably our most used way of accessing music, uh, with maybe the exception of our cars. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you're not using your car speakers, which uh, usually this just the normal ones, right? We don't really. Yeah, yeah. Neither of us have much experience modding at our cars, but um, at your desk, um, or at least at my desk, mm-hmm. I do have a pair of Logitech speakers just mounted there. Um, I actually have two sets. So aside from my car, this is probably my second most used method. Um, I have a set that is currently in my house of Logitech 5.1 speakers, actually, that I really like. They're maybe 100 bucks. Um, if you just search surround sound speakers, they're probably the first one that comes up because of the price. And for the price, I'd say the quality is pretty solid. There's a subweaver, subwoofer, um, four, five tweeters? I don't know. There's, there's full setup. Um, yeah. and it's really easy to install. It's pretty versatile. They use this weird proprietary... It actually looks like a VGA cable, but that's the connection. Oh, that connects from the remote to the subwoofer, right? Yep. I have a pair of Logitech as well, and it looks exactly like a VGA connection. Super weird, but it works. Yeah, yeah. So that is my, like, nicest, probably audio equipment I own. Um, At my desk, I have, like, some $15 Logitech speakers, um, which are super cheap, but I got them just for school, like... I don't feel bad if they get knocked around or... I was ask you, like, is there a reason why you kept the nicer pair at a home, especially since you're going to be at school, working at your desk often? Um, actually, the biggest reason... I did bring them to school one year, but 
the wires are just so long. That's my other question, too. Like, they might be easy to set up, but the cable management for a 5.1 system... It's like, the problem with the Logitech ones, and I think a lot of cheaper surround sound systems you went into, is you get this just, like, rat's nest of wires. Uh-huh. And even if you want to, like, you know, if you really want to use them efficiently, you have to spread it all around a room, right? Yeah. So you have these wires just snaking up the walls. Like, it, it's it's kind of a nightmare. I If I were going to buy speakers again, I would either get something, like a really nice set that would justify the time that I wouldn't want to switch out later yeah. of laying the wires above and ones where I could like you know buy speaker wire and just run it myself not be stuck with these plug and play black wires which are great easy to use but have um, they're just a mess a fixed yeah and a fixed width they kind of make a lot of assumptions about your room uh, or get a system where they're wireless so I yeah. can just put the tweeters around her right please yeah, and like that's actually the main reason why my parents had like a really nice surround sound, but it was multiple channels of speakers all around the apartment or all around the living room actually, uh, and they switched to a sound bar. And like you do have a degradation of quality, especially the earlier generation ones. But at this point for me, I rather just get the sound bar and uh, and not have to deal with any of that. Yeah, I mean it's getting there. I'm sure it'll be better now. You know, some of the cool stuff with um, Chromecast Audio, you know, you can just make a surround sound set of any speakers. That's pretty cool. Yeah, I, like, wish they would actually invest more into that that product, that ecosystem. I know that, like, Vizio is taking the Chromecast Audio technology and trying to make their own Sonos competitor, mm-hmm. but you haven't seen really anyone who's really challenged Sonos for the ease of use and ubiquity. Yeah, that's true. It's, there's a lot of really interesting things you can do in that space, especially now is technology getting more commoditized, cheaper. So I, I totally agree. They'll be very Or like Amazon. Like if Amazon, like they're selling $50 uh, Echoes now, those Echo Dots. Like why can they also just add a functionality where each of them acts as a receiver and you can name them appropriately for each room? That'd be cool. A household Amazon Echoes. Yeah. An Echo Chamber, if you will. You can buy a six-pack. That Dot, did you see the Dot release for it? 50 bucks, and you can buy it as a six-pack and it looks like it has a grab handle. It looks like you're buying like six beers and you can carry it out <laughs> of the Amazon store. They love making the packs of tablets. Yeah. Packs of dots. I like it's still so weird to see tablets and those type of pieces of technology as commodity, right? Like it's literally in the same like cardboard container as buying six sodas from McDonald's. Wow. <laughs> yeah, that is pretty crazy. It's, it's super weird to see that. But I look forward to like the day that like we have to live somewhere a little bit more permanently, like not having to move out every single school year, setting up that speaker because I've definitely had that problem where I go into the kitchen, I want to play music, I have it on my phone. I have to turn on the Apple TV, and then I don't have my airport set up for this, and I don't want to set up more permanent speakers because I don't know how the power is going to work. Um, but it'll be so nice. Maybe maybe not Sonos, maybe something else too, but I'm hoping it works with Apple Music too. Yeah, I know my parents have a nice setup where the little house is wired up, and we got it. It was wired that way. So every room has, like, a volume control on the wall and stuff like that. Um, maybe not every, but a, like the family room and the yeah. kitchen, really. That's really it, I guess. Or the backyard space, too. Like, we have it where we use a Bluetooth speaker, but it's, like, not permanent. And sometimes the battery's dead. If you have friends coming over, you know, you forget. Um, It'd be nice to have it wired that way, too. That'd be cool, yeah. We don't have anything like that. (laughs) There's, like, a Brookstone sells, like, that $150 speaker with a handle, and it's waterproof, and it has a light show. And I'm like, if I really had that much time and money, I would invest in it. Just toss it in the pool. Yeah, exactly. That'd be very cool. Um, But for me, I guess, I have um, a pair of Logitech speakers, similar to Rob, and uh, uses that same VGA, like, connection. The funny thing is they kind of won't die. So I bought them in 2008 when I bought my black MacBook. And the reason why I got them was because they were black and all the other models were white. Got to do it. Um, I, I had them all through high school. Um, and they still sound great. If you look on the Amazon reviews now, they're the Logitech Z4 or the Z4i's. Uh, and, like, every connection to the speaker or the sub, it's splintering, like, the cables. Or like, I was like, it's going <laughs> to die soon, right? And I've been, like, waiting for the day because I wouldn't mind upgrading. 
but these speakers keep on going and they still sound really good. So I don't have a reason to upgrade. I feel bad justifying an upgrade, um, but they are the most resilient piece of technology I have owned now. Hmm. Uh, and they sound great, great value. I got them for like $85 back in 2009. Um, so I listened to that. But truthfully, actually, since I've been using my iPad more, even while I'm at home working on my desk, uh, I've been using my Logitech UE Boom Bluetooth speaker. Um, for anyone who doesn't know, this is a speaker made by Logitech. Comes in a whole bunch of different uh, colors, has an aux connection and Bluetooth. But from many different websites, it's uh, voted the best Bluetooth speaker you can buy. And uh, I use it in the shower because it's water resistant. Um, I blast music through the apartment if we have people over. Uh, we use it at the family barbecues and stuff. But I receive compliments about the speaker all the time, and it's such a versatile product. I think, I think as a college student, when you start your freshman year, I think it's a no-brainer. Just buy a really good Bluetooth speaker. Mm. To the UE Boom's credit. Um, this summer, actually, my roommates and I, they would set up the UE Boom with the TV, and we'd actually mute the TV because the speakers were so bad, and the UE Boom was so much better, and it was super easy to set up, and then we could, like, you know, move around the room. If you wanted to, like, um, vacuum or do laundry or something while the TV was on, you could walk with the speaker and still listen to it. Oh, so yeah. There's definitely a lot of utility for it outside of just um, hosting a party or something, so yeah. there is a lot. Uh, it is really, I can attest to the quality. I've seen people, like, use it as their main computer speaker, so instead of setting up, like, a traditional Logitech, they have one where they can, you know, they aux into their computer or their iPad, and then they also have the Bluetooth connection for their phone to connect to. I think it is interesting that uh, even with the UE Boom, which is technically Logitech, like, all the speakers we have are Logitech. Yeah, like, I never realized, like, I've always, I've always had a place in my heart where I want to buy those Harman Kardon sound sticks that you always saw with the original iMacs, and it's, uh-huh. it's been on my Amazon wish list for at least, once again, eight years, wow. but these other speakers won't die. Yeah, I, I think Logitech makes really, for the price, like, really quality speakers, at least that's my impression. Overall, the peripherals, and I've even had pretty good experience with the customer service, it's been the one that I've always leaned on, and even that new iPad Pro keyboard that they released for the 9.7 inch, I've heard rave things about it. I have heard that's very good. I've seen pictures too. It looks pretty sleek. People, I think if you're listening to con- uh, Control Walt Delete from The Verge, like Walt Mossberg thinks that Apple should just buy them. Hmm. Oh, yeah, I think you're, I heard him say this thing about Anchor, right? Yeah, why not though, right? It would be interesting, yeah. I, I, I'm not sure, honestly. I guess they do already make their own accessories, though, would be my argument. Yeah, exactly. And it's nice to have a third party that you can rely on that's independent of, like, Apple's traditional supply chain. So Plus, it might disrupt the market of third parties they have. If they see that happening, they're like, yeah. oh, they're favoring one. They're getting some yeah. sort of competitive advantage. Well, they've always given such special preference to, like, InCase and Mophie, and they haven't bought them for so long, too. That's and, true. like, Apple's own battery case is a direct, I think, also better version of what Mophie's core product is. Better? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, like, I've, I've been saying, too, like, if I had to get an iPhone 7 or I went back to a regular size, I would pair it because it's the same price point of buying the Plus. And the battery case, I think, I think the battery case is a great example of what technology should be. And what I mean by that is there's really no interface. It does the thinking intelligence for you, right? Like, when you put on that case on your phone, you don't need an on or off switch, and you don't need a battery indicator. Like, it's built into the software of your phone, which is smart enough to recognize it and measure the battery. And, like, when the phone needs more battery, the case switches on. So, have you had a Mophie before? Like, can you yeah. S- so, what what is the drawback about Mophie? Like, I, I haven't really used a battery case ever. So, yeah. I'm kind of speaking from a point of experience here. Yeah. Um, the most I've heard about the iPhone case, and again, like, I've never owned it. Because it's ugly, right? Yeah, I've heard about the bump. Um, personally, I mean, I'm kind of indifferent to it. I feel like, when I've seen it in person, it's not nearly as big as it looks in pictures. So, <laughs> I think concern is a little yeah. uh, exaggerated. But, you know, that said, I've heard the Mophie's a much better value 
if we're talking price points, you know, I know it doesn't have the lightning connection yeah. or some of the smarts, but we're talking, you know, pretty significant price difference. You can get the movies for like $30 on Amazon yeah. and bigger capacity prior to the second version. It's better, yeah. So I, I'm just curious, like, how you're... What, think, what's the downside to the Mophie? I think it's uh, it, it doesn't use lightning, so you're back to micro-USB when you live pretty much in an Apple ecosystem. If you do own an iPhone or if you live in our type of, of workflow. And... Um, and then the other thing is, like, people always have these, like, battery myths about, like, oh, you can't charge to 100, you can't let it die, when should I switch it on, is it at 30%, should I wait for the, the anchor, or for the Mophie to turn, whatever, and stuff like that, too. I think there's just a lot of decision-making that a user doesn't need to make when it comes to their battery life. That's like, true. You should be able to slip on the battery case, and the phone should know, if I'm running low, I'll charge it up. And, like, it extends the battery in a realistic way that you don't even have to think about percentages anymore, right? You can say, I put this case on my phone, I get 40 hours of battery life. And I think that's just a better overall user experience. Than having to fumble with the Mophie turn on and off. Because that is true, you have to turn the phone with the on. I know, I know that. The phone is so smart and has such a great processor and has a great software. Why is it at making the battery decisions for you? Yeah, I mean, I think that's probably more of a first party versus third party thing, but I totally agree. That's that's a fair point. Yeah, so like, I think when I first saw the bump, I really hated it and I thought it was terrible looking. But think about just how it works and there's really no human interface. I think that's brilliant. Like, that's what technology should be. It should be seamless and integrated and do all the manual thinking for you so that you just get the benefit. Hmm. I, I'm not sure if for all consumers, for the price it's worth it, but I definitely, I see where you're going with that. There's definitely an advantage. Yeah. Hmm. So, now that we've discussed the hardware in depth and battery cases too, which you might want if you're listening to a lot of music. So you know, still on, still relative, right? Yeah, if you guys are buying a regular size uh, six or seven, consider getting the uh, case for it because I've heard brave things afterwards. A lot of people use it as their main case too. Interesting. So, podcasts. Let's mm-hmm. talk about that before we get right into music streaming, which is kind of the meat of the discussion. Podcasts. Never heard of them. Yeah, what's a podcast? So, Candice, what do you use to listen to podcasts when you're consuming this content? Yeah. What's your go-to application? Um, oh, and uh, a couple of your favorite podcasts, other than Tic Tac Talk, of course. Tic Tac Talk's number one on my list. Um, I've tried most of them. I uh, My biggest, re- I guess I'll go over the main requirements of my podcast app. Um, I would like to, for it to have some type of app on iOS, iPad, and iPhone. And I would like to some way to listen to it on my computer, either through the web or through a dedicated app. Probably to the web, just because I don't be reliant on an OS X app that might not might or not might not be updated or has incompatibility or something. Or if I switch to Chromebook or I'm using a browser, um, and so I actually use Pocket Cast. I've actually been using them since iOS four or five. They've done a lot of major redesigns, and they actually have a really great Android version too. Um, but they sync the play status of my phone. They give me notifications on certain podcasts that I'm interested in. Um, you can switch between downloading versus Wi-Fi and over LTE. Um, and just overall, like, the UI is very intuitive. Um, it also now incorporates the smart sound and smart speed stuff that you saw originally in Marco Arment's Overcast. Um, and, yeah, I, I've been using it for so long. It might be a, a legacy thing. I know there's a lot of new, interesting podcasts or even just new versions of old applications. Um, but it's definitely one of my most used apps on my phone. Interesting. For me? Yep. So uh, I did use Overcast for... Er, I did start on Pocket Cast. Pocket Cast was my first podcasting experience. Um, I thought it was pretty good, but I did feel Overcasts had more Overcast rather had more features. So I used that for a pretty extended period of time. Um, I really like their voice amplification stuff. Uh, this was also a time I should note that my car's radio. I had to get the battery swapped, 
and I didn't know this, but I need to enter a code so I could use my radio again. Oh, yeah. So I didn't have any speakers for like a month. So that voice boost was great because I put my phone in a cup holder, it get amplified, and I can amplify the voice just a touch more. Oh, yeah. Like perfect. So I used Overcast for quite a long time during that. Um, and then after that, I actually switched the default podcast. I app. remember when you told me that, yeah. Yeah. So there's a couple of reasons. Um, if you listen to a lot of podcasts or you're looking at different applications, uh, you, you'll quickly come to realize, well, I think you could argue that other applications have more features or like a web presence. Um, iTunes is still the default store for music, I would say. It, it has the most purchases and but more so the biggest community of reviewers, stuff like that, and the most content. Everybody's on iTunes, you know, it's pretty ubiquitous at this yeah. point. Even if you're on an Android platform or Windows Phone platform, most mainstream consumers think iTunes is the default, right? Mm-hmm. So podcast has the best reviews, all the content, uh, all the features, not quite, mm-hmm. but it's across most platforms. You know, iTunes is on Windows, Mac OS, uh, yeah, Mac OS now. I got that right. Now. <laughs> and um, iOS, obviously. So yeah. uh, all the platforms I'm using, if I were going to switch back to Android, I'd probably go to Pocket Cast because I don't think Overcast is on that. Over- there's there's some other apps for Android, but Pocket Cast is the one cross-platform. I don't really know of any others aside from like the Stitcher or the TuneIn. Sure. For, for cross-platform, I'd probably stick with Pocket Cast more. Um, if I, actually, if I was going all in on Android, I'd probably use Play Music's Pocket Cast yeah. just because it's the default store again, and I feel like you get the best experience. And also you get the variety of podcasts, which is important. Um, so I, I like that it's kind of the default, yeah. and it is fully supported, you know, through releases and stuff like that. So yeah. um, that's kind of why I choose it. Uh, Are there any limitations at this point, then? Like, anything that you miss leaving Overcast and going to the default? I mean, really, the only big thing is the vocal boost. Truth, truthfully, I really don't listen to that many podcasts. Um, they don't have as much granular control over, like, a speed boost, but you can still do, like, 1.2, 1.5, which was what I used anyway, yeah. so I don't really mind that. Uh, and I recently found out, actually, kind of a cool feature... If you're using the default podcast app, there is a um, do not disturb mode on it. So you can set it to do not disturb while you, until the episode ends. So I don't know if you've been like on a long road trip, listening to a podcast, and you get a text like ding, and then you miss some of the podcast. Yeah. There's a feature that will actually mute them until the podcast ends. Oh. So I found that out the other day, and I was like, this is actually really good. I don't that's know if that's smart. a new update, but that has kind of like cemented me in there because, um, again, I think being the first party gives them, you know, an advantage. An advantage yeah, I understand that. Like that. So, that, that was pretty killer. Also, you know, the syncing across platforms is something I needed. Um, so, for that reason. Also, it's free. Yeah, nice. and it's, I think it's still built in, right? Does it come with a standard installation of and it's OS, built in, yeah. of iOS? So, um, that, and I mean, also, I guess maybe there's a little bit of a bias because we're producing this podcast. I like to use the default app because I think it's a way a large number of our consumers access the podcast. Mm-hmm. So, it gives me an experience of what they're seeing, how the content's viewed. Um, so, that's... Uh, a, a pretty significant reason also why I like to use it and get an idea of, you know, what the experience is like. What yeah. people are saying about our podcast, too, so. Yeah, truthfully, we, like, I keep a folder of podcast apps just to make sure it shows up, it has the right content and stuff. Because when we put into our CMS, sometimes it just goes into the best abyss and we don't know whether it got uploaded. <laughs> sometimes there's an issue. Sometimes the art doesn't show up. So it's nice to have all of them. Yeah. Um, but the great thing is, maybe to wrap up the idea of podcast apps, like, a couple of iOS versions ago, it was really hard to find a great podcast app. I remember really struggling to find one I liked. I think at this point, it's the opposite problem. There are so many great choices and selections. Uh, I kind of wish like maybe like the Twitter app was the same way too, where there was a larger ecosystem of really really great Twitter apps. Um, but podcasts, like I was talking to Rob about this. I don't watch a lot of television. I don't watch a lot of movies, but I do watch a lot of YouTube and listen to a lot of podcasts. 
So it's like it's really important to make sure that I, you know it stays up to date. It kind of flows with my workflow. Um, there is another app I want to mention. I believe it's called Castro. Yeah, they just released. They're yeah. changing the way, like they want to change the mindset of how you listen to podcasts, right? Yeah, it's pretty interesting. It's like um, a cue around podcasts. It's kind of like a messaging app for podcasts, and the messages are the podcasts. So there is, to Candace's point, a ton being done with podcasts right now, um, which is very interesting, I think. Like really new ways of thinking about it. And I think it's definitely a growing field. Uh, as far as audio is concerned, much more so than music. There's a lot of new people hopping on board, um, and I predict, you know, as autonomous vehicles take off, podcasts, I think, uh, provide a really unique form of entertainment outside of something like a song. You know, a podcast, it's kind of single use. You don't really re-listen too much, but, like, the content's there. It's very accessible to make a podcast. I mean, we're just two students in a classroom right now with a microphone. Um, So I think it's pretty exciting, and the way they're being rethought of and redone is really interesting yeah it's an old i always say like it's an old technology and even though a lot of the traditional format is very old but a lot of the new mediums will probably return to it because it's such a digestible format and it's so accessible to produce and listen and understand Hmm. so i totally agree with you yeah if anything the most exciting thing is that people that normally aren't technology focused aren't that tech savvy are listening to podcasts and it's great that there is an application built into you know ios that they can do so easily right it was so easy to get a couple of our, you know, grandparents or parents to download and listen to our podcast because they had it on their phone already. Definitely. I'm really glad Google Play is pushing to add podcast features, too, because that, I think the biggest hurdle to entry is if, if you don't have it there, they're like, where do I even start? Where do I get the applications for it? Yeah. For a lot of people, the default applications really dictate the function. So that's yeah. really great. Um, and maybe uh, I'll talk about maybe three podcasts right now that I recommend that I've been listening to. Um, I've always been a big fan of, like, the Control, Walt, Delete, and all the Verge content. Uh, I'm also a really uh, pretty loyal, like, Really.fm network, so I listen to a lot of Mike Hurley's podcasts and Jason Snell. Um, but one podcast that I've been listening to recently, maybe because I have a new camera and I'm getting back into mobile photography, is a uh, podcast called Candid. So just two different photographers talking about different aspects. Um, I just listened to their, like, Instagram app or Instagram episode about their workflow behind it, their mindset of posting Instagram. Uh, I also listened to one where they talked about their mobile editing uh, workflow, which I've been trying to work out as well, too. And so it pointed me in a lot of directions. I saw some of the photography, and it's amazing, and it's really motivating. Um, another one, I'm not sure if I mentioned it, is a podcast from Really.fm. It's called Cortex, and it's co-hosted with Mike Hurley, who is one of the co-creators uh, of Really.fm, and CPG Gray, who is a YouTuber. Mm-hmm. So um, he's kind of an anomaly. He's a very, he's like, almost like a recluse. He makes, like, those educational animated stick figure videos that are very, very popular on YouTube. But he's so focused on like his like optimization of work and productivity. He actually is pretty extreme, where he just like locks himself out of Twitter for months at a time, like goes to Amsterdam for months at a time to do <laughs> his best writing and do his best work. Um, I wouldn't follow all of his principles, and some of his lifestyle doesn't seem that realistic, especially as a social college student. Um, but it does fuel me and give me these new productivities or ways of thinking. He did it like an EDC bag and the rule, you know. Uh, two is one and one is none in terms of preparedness, right? Always bring two lightning cables. Always bring two multi-tools because if one fails, you still have the one. So that's super interesting. Very extreme. <laughs> uh, and then the last one still on the same network is Canvas, which is a work uh, a podcast with Federico Batici, who is the editor-in-chief of uh, Mac Stories. And they talk about iPad-only workflow. So once again, another field of interest. Uh, but both of the co-hosts run their whole lives and businesses off of iPad Pros, and it's so interesting. 
Interesting. But what are you listening to? Sure. Um, so, again, with Candice, I do follow a lot of the Verge content. Um, Control-Alt-Delete, I find, is actually one of the more... Um, I love the Verge cast. It's pretty classic, but I find that their analysis is a little more... Um, they really kind of dive deeper, I find. They're, they're pretty... They stay on topic a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Not the Vergecast is a good way to get like a, a mix of everything. Control delete really dives deep, so um, I'll mention that one in particular. Yeah, uh, I do like the talk show with John Gruber. That one gets pretty in depth, um, and they've had some pretty cool episodes where they get like Craig Federighi, or um, he has an episode I believe. Um, actually, it's on another podcast I'll mention, but he he goes on with a lot of really interesting guests and talks about the mobile ecosystem uh, pretty in depth. Um, tomorrow with Joshua Topolsky. Joshua Topolsky is probably one of my favorite editors in tech editing or news right now. So um, he has a lot of really interesting content. Josh is uh, kind of all over the place. Some episodes are really good. Some episodes are uh, really out there. But, you know, it's a good one to just check out. Um, and then the last podcast I'll mention, and I actually haven't listened to this podcast yet. So I have to you know kind of confess that. But I've been really meaning to. Um, it's called Startup. And the whole podcast is a startup. Uh, and it's about what it's like to be a startup. So it's kind of a really interesting concept. Oh. I've heard a lot of rave reviews about it saying it's really, really good. So it's queued up for me right now. Um, and I've been dying to listen to that. I'll be sure to check that out. That's I'm like thinking about the different layers, like how to understand that. Yeah, they're in season three right now. So it's been going pretty well. Um, they have pretty good reviews. And I've been, I've been meaning to listen to it. But... It's one of those things where, like, I kind of want to start at the beginning, too. Yeah. I, I have such a hard time finding the time to listen to podcasts because yeah. um, well, I love it, but they are long. <laughs> yeah, and especially, like, on campus, like, the longest commute you'll get is, like, 10 minutes walking from here to there. And I usually don't want to yeah. start something because I have to pause it. Yeah, I like to go all the way through. When I, like, was working, when I was commuting at least a half an hour, it's nice to have the podcast. And I ran out. Now I'm, like, I have so much stuff backed up. I'm, like, oh, I'll just wait until I have more time. Yeah. So, so it's tough, but um, that's when I'm really interested in looking into. Also, one thing I should note, um, one of my favorite features about the default app is it noticed, it has noticed I haven't listened to a couple of my shows in a while, so it stopped downloads automatically. Oh, yeah, yeah. I have that too where it sets a limit and stuff. Um, but especially now having 128 gigabytes on an iPhone, I used to run out of space because I used to cache all the podcasts and play them all like on a plane. Now I like I don't think I set the limit because I'm just wild. I just download everything. Yeah, it is a really different way to think about mobile. It's ironic because, you know, for so long they were saying, Oh, you know, you don't need that much space. You have the cloud. You can back it all up. We'll include 16 gigs, and that's fine. And now they're kind of, all manufacturers across the board are putting more and more space on their phones. I think that's just a direct response to how, like, the amount of data that consumers are getting for a reasonable price is not scaling with the usage and mm-hmm. of, of a phone, right? Yeah. I think it goes, still goes back to the telcos charging what, like, having a family share 10 gigabytes of data, I think, is just, like, in 2016, has to expand. Yeah, I mean, I, I think a point really illustrates that well. So when my sister first got 4G, uh, she got the latest version of the iPhone. She just blew through her data almost immediately. So yeah. it does definitely change the use a lot. Very yeah. interesting. All right, now done with podcasts, I think. And then probably the last big topic, of course, of listening, music and how we consume music, uh-huh. how we discover music. Um, feel free to interrupt or correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe we're both Apple Music subscribers, right? That is right? correct. And were we both previously Spotify subscribers? Mm, I guess you could call me a Spotify subscriber, but it was pretty limited. Okay. I did a three-month trial, and that was it. I paid for a while. I think I paid for it in high school, or um, I just wanted to download the local version of the music to my phone. 
mm-hmm. um, so I could stream it all for my commute back and forth when I work 30 minutes away from my house and stuff. I'd actually be better qualified as a previous Xbox music listener, which is now gone. <laughs> Xbox? It was, was that derived from the Zune subscription service? Uh, it was from that, but that's not why I got into it. Um, I had a Windows phone, and there are not a lot of, like Spotify. Actually, I guess they were on Windows phone, but the support is not that great outside of first parties, so... Uh, Xbox Music was a pretty natural choice. Uh, if you haven't heard of Xbox Music, that's because they're gone now. Now it's Groove Music, which is the same thing, but I'm really con- I'm, I I don't really get what's different, but um, there are some cool things. I know Groove Music in Forza Motors and Forza Horizons Three. It's actually in the app and it'll like respond to how you're using the car, which is kind of cool. That's cool. So Microsoft's using it kind of like as a platform. Um, I'd love to talk about that a little more later, but at the moment, it's all Apple Music it's for me. Yeah, I don't do two streaming services. Um, but Apple Music's pretty good. I find they are pretty competitive on price. They're about the same as Spotify, and they provide a lot of good content. Um, again, they have some exclusive deals, which are pretty nice, and they work across my devices really well. Yeah, exactly. And they like they're, they are priced competitively. There is a student pricing now, too, that matches Spotify's. Um, one main, main reason why my family's on it, they do have family pricing, too. So uh-huh. we have four or five members of the family sharing subscription, which is really affordable. Yeah. Everyone's on it. Um, we do all the iCloud sharing now, too, just because it's so much more manageable since everyone in my family owns an iPhone, uses an iPhone. Um, and then, yeah, and honestly, if you asked me before iOS 10, I think the interface of Apple Music, of the music app, is, was compromised. And I think that was uh, a direct effect of them acquiring a team from Beats Music uh, and them not really understanding the main purpose because there are still people who are not Apple Music subscribers who still have to use the music app and then get kind of a subpar experience mm. where a lot of the functionality is in secondary menus. And so look, luckily for me, right, like, it's okay. But I think they're trying to find more focus. I think they're trying to make it more usable. I know there's been a lot of criticism on the iOS 10 music app because the typography is humongous, but I think that's just more usable. You know, like walking to class, driving, quickly changing a song, it's a lot easier. Yeah, when I first saw the new iOS 10 redesign of Apple Music, I was kind of like, wow. <laughs> but um, it's definitely gotten a lot better. I like what they've done with it, and I think it's pretty good. Um, but coming away from the app, I think one thing we should talk about mm-hmm. is, you know, music nowadays is so different than even five years ago. Yeah. I mean, most people today don't even own any music, you know? Yeah. And, like, a lot of the content and everything's kind of going that direction. But just speaking of music, like, you're essentially renting music. Mm-hmm for a limited period of time. And if you stop playing, you lose it all. But you're, like, renting or leasing, more accurately, yeah. access to the biggest music library on the planet, which is pretty interesting, I yeah. think. I, I, I personally don't really care, but I know some people are really attached to the idea that, like, this is my music and my song, and yeah. it's my stuff. There's also an attachment, of course, to quality, right? People who are audiophiles want to make sure they own the best quality. And if you stream it, you lose it. You really degrade it. Mm-hmm. And for those people probably listening to something like Apple Music or Spotify, streaming over what... 4G or LTE, you really lose that quality. Um, yeah, I don't really feel an attachment of actually owning the files. It was probably more of a nuisance. Like there was a reason why I wanted a 30 gigabyte, 60 gigabyte iPod so I could store everything. Mm-hmm. But you know, I feel more attached maybe with the playlist I've created. So as long as I can export that data out and always just recreate my playlists, um, that's more important to me than actually owning the files and having them live on my hard drive. True. I guess you know what what kind of is it for me? Back when I was like storing my own music. I would hop around clients all the time. Like I said, Xbox Music, I was on Google Play, I was using iTunes, I was using um, SoundCloud, I was using like, you know, whatever default music player was on, whatever machine I was using. And my library kind of just stuck with that. I had it up in OneDrive and I would just like access it through a file system. But the issue there um, is, you know, like I, like 
it was so hard to keep track of it. I remember I would keep it all backed up on Google Play Music, and I would do these really, really long downloads from Google Play to my computer. And, you know, music lockers, not even that long ago, were like a really big thing where you'd have an online copy of all your music. Yeah. I know Xbox Music did it at the very end. Google Music was pretty famous for it. They would store 20,000 songs for free. Yeah. And you could just download your whole library wherever. So I remember, like, it was a pain. You know, I'd go to a, a new computer, and I'd download all 20,000 songs. Oh, my God. my computer. So it, it would take literally, like, days. Yeah. Um, actually, I guess it wasn't a full 20,000. But, you know, a good, like, 30 gigabytes of music yeah. onto a computer. So that was pretty crazy. Plus acquiring it, you know, purchasing other methods. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it, the whole landscape has really changed now that the stream music, like... On one sense, I don't own anything, but on the other hand, I'm not really afraid of losing anything. Yeah. Because it's all up in the cloud. Like, if I switch to Spotify tomorrow, I wouldn't really be that worried about it because I could just go and find the songs. And, you know, the kind of nice part about switching between services when I was evaluating them was I didn't really care if I explored my music with me or not. I could just get it on demand if I felt like listening to a song. Because aside from the really big exclusives, right, the, the libraries and what they have are pretty unified. Like, all the same labels have made the same deals with the same providers. So yeah. it's, a ma- it's just picking the right service that fits with your platform and needs. And quite honestly, like, the majority of the times when I'm listening to music, it's usually not the latest and greatest, you know? Like, I like when the exclu- exclusives come out. I usually listen to them. But a lot of times I'm listening to music I just really like, you know, usually not the newest. So yeah. I can just find it and it's not really an issue. Yeah, and I'm uh, truthfully, like, I'm probably, I'm probably one of the worst people to listen to or subscribe to music because I listen, you know, I pick one song that I really like. I listen to it way too many times a month and then I move on and I build the playlist that way. And I'm not sure if other people do that, but I've been told I'm kind of strange, but every month I make a new playlist and I put all the songs that I like. Um, and then I like having the list with me because I can go back to any moment of time, you know, mm-hmm. since high school play a month playlist and kind of be zoomed back in a time machine to like exactly how I felt what I was going through what I remember about the song so that's why I would want to export the metadata and there's apps that do that and such but I have no attachments to the files themselves yeah yeah and that's a good way to put it like I, I, I know people do that too and it's it's a really cool way to look at it but it's nice to have to worry about keeping track of these files and yeah. you hit on a good point with the metadata I remember going through Google Play Music and spending like summers cleaning up my metadata yeah. so the albums would look right and the data would be stored correctly. And now it's so nice to just be able to click add and it's done. It's the master record. It's with the artist. Like this is how they intended it. It has lyrics. It has information. Like, yeah. like now we take it for granted. But I remember totally too, like downloading those like iTunes metadata cleaners and Ugh. fixing all the MP3s and making sure that it looks great because yeah. you want to live like you're in that commercial, right? Where you oh, yeah. open up your phone and everything is perfect. And you have to go in, and you have to, you know, get the right sizes for the albums. You have to make sure it's like, like, there's so many discolorations of album covers in Google search. It's incredible. I yeah. can't believe there's so many different slight tweaks. But whatever. I remember contemplating buying like a twenty-five dollar Mac utility back on ten point six le- like Snow Leopard to clean it up. I was like really contemplating, and this is back in like high school, where that was like a big purchase because I was like yeah. so focused on making it look nice and actually listening to it. Ugh, it was the worst. I mean, was I obsessed? Maybe, but it was awful. Yeah. And also, we should talk about discoverability. I mean, it's much easier to find music nowadays um, through yeah. these services. I know, like, Spotify is really popular with their weekly playlists, uh, playlist mix, and people wait for, I think, Mondays for it to update or Tuesdays for it to update. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing, I'm one of those people, like, I listen to the same music over and over again. It's very rare unless I hear it on the radio or through some other means to find new music. But I must say that uh, Apple's new f- My Favorites mix and then new mix has been really on point. So I've gotten almost two or three weeks worth of playlists, and I've really enjoyed it because it takes music that you already have in your library, so I'm guaranteed to like it, but it's wow. things that I don't, I forgot that I really enjoyed. Hmm. 
Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. Um, I, I do use mine. I've gotten a couple good songs out of it. I love just putting my music on shuffle. And now what I do because of the subscription service is I'll add a whole album in, you know, even if I only like one song. So, like, just by playing Always Going to Shuffle, I kind of get, like, new music every time. Yeah. But generally the artists I like. You know, sometimes I'll remove something. If I don't like it, I'll try to yeah. make sure the music in my shuffle is consistently, like, pretty good. It's something I generally like. But I like that aspect. Um, one thing I do like, too, is now, you know, I don't know if you know high school, like, people would make each other CDs and stuff like yeah. that or send each other playlists, and now it's so much easier to do stuff like that. Yeah. Um, um, I don't know if Apple Music's... I know they have some subscription playlists. I don't know if anybody can make them, but it's... You can share better. a playlist. I'm just not sure of how social the aspect of it is. But, but there is ability to, to name it and to share it. And Spotify is all over that. Yeah, exactly. I remember, like, looking at, like, people's workout playlists and kind of, like, judging, like, oh, is that song really that cool? Or when you could scrabble to... Facebook and it would show yeah. what you listening to. That was By default, weird. right? Like, I would listen to, like, what the, some, like, Broadway tunes on loop because it's one of those, like, background music things and I got mocked relentlessly <laughs> for just listening to, like, the Newsy soundtrack on repeat. That's so funny. Yeah, I remember that. That was, that was really funny. Uh, so, um, one more thing, or a couple things we should talk about more. Um, Kanye West, with his, with his album, The Life of Pablo, did something really interesting. Um, he kind of changed the music as it was being uh, pushed out. Mm-hmm. And, you know, people were always saying that, like, you know, it, it's kind of interesting. You know, you download the music, it's in your library, and then it changes. Like, you don't know what's on it. And, you know, people were like, I'm losing versions of the songs I loved, and I'm getting these weird ones I don't like. And people were yeah. like, oh, this is way better. I got upgraded music. And um, I think people kind of commented it, like, music as a service. Like, you could get this album, and it could be ever-changing. Every week, it could be different if an artist decided. They could just give you one album forever, and every week, you'd get a new experience, which actually would be kind of cool. I'm surprised somebody hasn't done that already, but music as a service is a really interesting idea, I think. I think it matches the medium of what how we're experiencing technology, right? Like, records, CDs, MP3 files are permanent, and this stance of, like, having a vinyl record is the final work, a painting is its final work. But we live in the age of the web where people's life works are in blogs and other things where they're dynamically changing. So I think it's matching it. Uh, I'm not sure how I would feel about that because I, I think I'm more traditional where, you know, I want someone's song to be their statement and that's it. And if they want to follow up or release another album, they should. But it's very interesting. I don't listen to any Kanye. I heard about it. But, um, you know, he's pushing the boundaries of a lot of different fields and different ways of thinking. So good for him. Yeah, I thought it was an extremely interesting take on how to release music and how to deal with the publishing and stuff like that. Um, I, I don't remember noticing any differences myself, but I thought it was really interesting, you know, just an interesting way to approach it and new possibilities coming from these platforms. Yeah. Aside from the social and the discovery kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, what else should we mention? Oh, the exclusivity deals. I feel like we already mentioned that. Yeah. Um, good for the artists, but I'm not a fan, obviously. Yeah, like, truthfully... A lot of people choose to only go to one platform or the other because they have those special deals or they don't believe it's streaming it at all and they think it's because it's a detriment to, you know, artists. And there was a whole letter from Taylor Swift and there was a conscious effort from Adele to not allow it on streaming until, you know, she got the things that she wanted. Truthfully, if people really love the artist but for some reason, you know, don't want to buy it, they're going to find a way to get it. And I know mm-hmm. many people who got it that way. I'm not sure how much of a financial difference it'll make for them, but maybe it's just the pure stance politically um, with their fans, telling them how they feel. But um, I think in the end, it's like it's not customer-friendly, right? Yeah, I mean, I think it's kind of just the way of the road for the industry. Like, I think the problem with music streaming platforms, you kind of hit on this earlier, it's hard to be different, you know? Every music streaming platform has, like you said, the same deals. So looking for ways to kind of stand out. And if you can get an artist like Drake, 
who carries a lot of clout with him, or Adele or Taylor Swift, mm-hmm. to release their music with you. I mean, that's big. Like, people who want that music, who aren't as tech-savvy, will go to that service because it's the easiest route to get the music. Exactly. Especially when you're not really competing on price. I mean, almost every service is the exact same price. And you can even make an argument that, like, RDO died and had one of the best interfaces, had a lot of indie genre stuff, and was considered a really great mobile application, and it didn't survive. Like... Another element to music, especially for Spotify success, is like the network effect, right? Yeah. You want to be on the platform that your friends are with because you want to make playlists or see you know, who's doing what. So there's so many elements. It's very hard to differentiate. For us, I think part of the reason why we're on Apple Music, it's the default one, right? It, it's ingrained with the rest of the services. One main reason why, too, that I'm on Apple Music is it's on Siri. Like I can tell Siri to play a song while I'm driving, and she like looks it up, and I have no restrictions. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with you. I mean, you could probably tell us, you know, somebody who chose to use a Windows phone, um, <laughs> one of the things they're good for is having a lot of services baked in um, and, you know, that first-party kind of experience. And I think it's no surprise that I kind of go for that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, same reason I use an iPhone. I like how they handle the first-party experience, and I like having the app built in and things piped through that, assuming I like the software, yeah. of course, but I, I do, and that's why I'm saying it. <laughs> but I, I agree. Like, I like it that it's being the default and the way things work through it. Yeah. And um, not that Android doesn't handle that well either, but I, I, that was definitely a driving factor. Yeah. And I think, truthfully, if I was Android-centric, I would just use Google Play Music, and I've heard yeah. great things about that, plus YouTube Red. Like, that's just a great value in itself. So True. That is a great value. I, I yeah. Now that Spotify isn't good and their app has gotten a lot better, but you're always kicked out or kicked into Apple Music when you're trying to do something else. And, you know, even Google Play, does Spotify have a store where you can buy music yet? No, not that I know of. So, you know, the thing about Google Play or iTunes, um, or Groove Music for that matter, they're all all-in-one music services. They do literally everything. And Spotify just can't compete on that level yet. Um, you know, you could make the argument that a music store is kind of vestigial. It's kind of a thing of the past. But mm-hmm. I, I think, you know, when you're looking for flexibility and value and things like that, um, that's why I choose Apple yeah. Music. Yeah. Um, and so I think we're kind of dis- uh, done discussing what we listen to. We did want to bring up one piece of current event or a new piece of software technology that kind of made headlines is um, Google's new video chatting app and messaging app that they announced, I believe, during Google I.O. Now yes. it's finally out in the public. Yes, they promised it at the end of summer, and last day of summer they delivered. And today. <laughs> um, but you've been using it too, right? So what are your thoughts on Allo and Duo? So Duo I haven't used a lot. Um, I was trying to get Candice to download it before this, so I can't really say ton about it, uh, but it seems pretty sleek. From what I've heard, it's a FaceTime competitor, which is pretty good. It seems like a sleek app, uh, very easy to use. I'm excited to play around a little more, but um, I'm not sure how this would fit in with Hangouts. That's my only concern. I guess Hangouts is now more positioned for groups. I guess it makes sense, Hangouts. They're trying to tailor it more towards enterprise, so make these the two really consumer-facing applications and make Hangouts their main corporate tool. Okay. I was not... I was... Yeah, I did not know that, but mm-hmm. um, just, you know, evaluating Duo on its own, it seems pretty solid. I like the design. It's very util, you know, utility forward. Just hit it, go. Um, it seems pretty good. Mm-hmm. I can't test the quality too much because we haven't used it, but <laughs> my initial impression is pretty strong. Um, Aloe I have used a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, Aloe is a very early chat app, so it's kind of hard to really make an evaluation because I think chat apps are really governed by Metcalf's Law and how the network forms around them. But um, from a technology perspective, you know, I think the system that they have baked in is pretty cool. Yeah. Um, I had a chat with somebody, and the conversation was consisted solely of responses the assistant provoked each of us to take. 
Um, we were in the same room just like laughing about it, but it was actually kind of cool. I mean, it yeah. was one of those boring conversations I've ever had in my entire life. Everything is good, right? Your Everything day is, is good. good. Everything is good. Everything is good. But, you know, that said, it did make sense and it responded appropriately. Um, and, you know, it responds well in a lot of situations, the questions you ask it. So, like, showcasing Google's tech or technology and prowess in natural language processing and AI, that was cool. I did, I did appreciate yeah. that. So there's definitely some pretty cool tech going into these applications. Uh, they're fun to play around with. I've seen a lot of people make complaints that there's no desktop app or web client. So yeah. that's uh, a fair critique. I think that's, you know, kind of table stakes at this point in the game. But That's my main criticism. So I haven't used either of them. I did see the, uh, the Verge first look, and I did watch Google I.O. and see them release it. It kind of left a question mark over my head because... On one side, I do understand their motivations, right? They want to make a simplified platform where it is the you know the FaceTime and the iMessage component, but it is cross-platform between Android and iOS. And I do see myself, you know, if I ever do need a video chat with a friend on Android, at least I can download their component and we can have a conversation easily without having to fumble with Skype usernames or, you know, God knows what. I think it's a missed opportunity that they made it so singular and simplified where it does rely on a cell phone number where it's more... Um, built to compete against a WhatsApp where they really had opportunity to showcase Google in a way where it could have been a main competitor to Slack. I think what Slack's doing with their bots and their intelligence and the way they, way they handle um, group chats, there's a, there's a delight about using Slack and there's an enthusiasm by groups of people who want to use Slack. And I think if Google were able to funnel in their prowess and allow their web services, it could have been a really interesting, powerful platform. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm interested why they didn't take that, especially... If you want to make the broader argument that like a lot of the Amazon Echoes derive success is its third-party openness and ability to build it as a platform. Yet yeah, their their Alexa voice assistant is really great, even you know, compared to Siri or even a, a Google command. But you know people love the Echo because you can use everything with it. I think they could have built something the same way. Something I could see them doing is maybe you know maybe Allo is is the demo. It is just showcasing showcasing the uh, the Google Assistant, I believe they call it. Like mm-hmm. I could easily see them, you know, being Google, being kind of platform agnostic at this point, where the web is their platform, making a Slack bot. I mean, they already have Google Calendar, right? Yeah. Making a Google Assistant Slack bot or something like that. I could, I could see that. Like, if that's their purpose here and intention to kind of showcase this technology, um, I'm pretty impressed. And yeah. I could see that. But uh, judging it for what it is right now and not speculating, I, I kind of agree. It's... It's an interesting move. It's not really... It seems like a, ha- a half-assed play into the chat app market. You know, there's clearly big omissions, and they're already supporting their messaging app and Hangouts. Exactly. Think from a user experience perspective. If you're someone who just owns an Android phone, and you love your Android phone, but you're not technology-oriented, you're going to take out the first phone out of the box. What is it going to have installed, right? It's going to have the default text messaging app, uh-huh. the Hangouts app, and then also do an Allo. Like, which one do you use? Which one sends a text? And then sometimes you even have the carrier one. So you have a yeah, carrier text the messaging app. Text you have the Android phones. text messaging app. You have the Hangouts app. And then do an, an Allo. Um, Allo is the one that is the messaging yep, app, right? Correct. So it's great that there's choice. It's one of the core strengths of Android. You know, you have the ability to choose what you want. But, like, I just don't... It would confuse me as a user. Yeah, I mean, I think Google's acknowledged this a couple times. They've said... They're kind of just throwing stuff at the wall and seeing what sticks. Um, mm-hmm. Strategy Samsung is used to bring it success to say, I yeah. guess, to say. I'm not sure if they're in the same position as Samsung to be doing something like this, mm-hmm. but um, it is interesting. I, I agree that they're sending a pretty mixed message to the users where it's not really clear which application they intend you to be using. 
they intend to be supporting in the long term. Yeah. At this point, my best guess is all three or four if you want to count the default texting app. Yeah, and, like, Hangouts always seemed like it was kind of on its deathbed because it was integrated with Google Voice. And, like, every Google Voice user that I know right now, they're, like, always really nervous because it can go the same way as, like, Google Reader, right? It hasn't been updated. It's kind of out of sync, kind of half-baked. Like, you don't really know where it's going. So, like, a lot of confusion. The technology is really interesting, especially Google's core strength is their search, their machine learning and uh, their Google Now stuff is the most impressive. I get, I'm so delighted using some of their stuff. It's just weird that they're not, they're fragmenting versus integrating. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's almost too early to say. I feel like in a lot of ways for this stuff, but yeah, it, it's a pretty interesting message or lack thereof for this application. Um, but you know, we'll see. I I think if you're curious about the application itself, it's fun to try out. You don't yeah. even need any friends. You can just message Google, which is kind of cool. Um, so I enjoyed that. Yeah, right? Who needs friends? So uh, it's, it's been fun, but I, I agree. It's not about to go overtake Facebook messages or iMessage for me. Yeah, so I'm excited to see what it looks like in a year, and it's great that they're launching something. It's a new, fun thing to play with, but I think we're both interested to see how Google takes it. Mm-hmm. All right, cool. Um, so thank you so much, guys, for listening to this episode of TikTok Talk. Um, you can find us on iTunes, uh, Pocket Cast, Overcast, on uh, Google Play, on a variety of different subscription services to listen to your podcast. We also really appreciate if you have the time to write us an iTunes review, because as Rob said, iTunes is still probably the most prominent rating system for podcasts, and any amount of feedback, ratings, uh, comments, suggestions is really beneficial. Um, you can find me at Candace Poon on Twitter, and you can find Rob at Russo underscore Rob. Um, and feel free to uh, follow us on Instagram as well, TikTok Talk Show. Uh, our wonderful new producer is doing a great job adding photos and new elements about our show, so be sure to follow that. Um, And that's pretty much it. Hope you guys enjoyed. Bye. Bye.